Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats for another hour of the PFT Live podcast. Thursday edition of Pro Football Talk Live already. Six days into February. First time we've mentioned that this year. February. Get the hell out of here with February. Do you remember the time in school? What grade would it have been? Second, third? You learn how to spell February. And it's like, what the hell is this February crap? February. Get the hell out of here with February. Oh, we got a... Do we have a Friday the 13th coming? Oh, no. No. Next Thursday is the 13th. Damn it. Wednesday the 5th will always be remembered in Kansas City as the day that they paraded for the first time in 50 years an NFL championship. Although it wasn't an NFL championship 50 years ago, it was an AFL championship chased by a Super Bowl win. The last of the AFL-NFL Super Bowls. A neat little nugget yesterday that I haven't seen anywhere else. I caught wind of this over the weekend that Clark Hunt, the owner of the Chiefs, had issued an invitation to the members of the Super Bowl four championship team who had missed the parade because they were whisked away to the AFL All-Star game, the last AFL game ever played. Ten members of that team, eight surviving, missed the parade. And at least some of them were at the parade yesterday, which is kind of cool. That they were in the parade, not lining the parade route. They were in the parade. They got their parade 50 years later. 
I also saw a photo comparing the Royals crowd to the Chiefs crowd. And remember, they went from 200 Porta Johns for the Royals crowd of 800,000 to 700 for the Chiefs crowd. And the photo I saw, and I haven't seen this verified yet, and I don't want to do anything with it until I'm sure it's real. Kind of like that photoshopped image of Patrick Mahomes wearing an awesome t-shirt yesterday that wasn't real but looked pretty damn good. The photo images I saw were Obama-Trump inauguration difference with more at the Royals gathering, which was stunning. So stunning that I haven't written about it yet because I want to be sure that it's right. So, the Kansas City Police tweeted that there were five arrests. Five total arrests. One belligerent guy who fell out of a tree. I think that's the guy who had his the back of his pants down for some reason. A person riding a horse was arrested. There was a weird scene where an impaired driver broke through a barricade and was driving down the parade route and... It could have gotten very, very ugly, but they got the guy under control. So, you know how this goes. They do the parade, and then they gather at some location at the end of the parade route, and they pass around a microphone to players and other members of the organization who have had varying degrees of alcohol along the parade route. Andy Reid, a Mormon, presumably had no alcohol along the parade route, although if he ever was going to be tempted to imbibe, yesterday would have been the day to do it. Yesterday would have been the day to say, the hell with the golden plates. I'm having myself a silver bullet, right? Anyway, here's Andrew. Maybe he was drinking yesterday. Here he is getting the crowd pumped up and saying something that he may live to regret. Hey, let's give him one, a little bit of that. How about the Chiefs on three? One, two, three. How about those Chiefs? Hey, hey. So listen, one more thing is... Next year, we're coming right back here. One more time, baby. One more time. To quote the great Steve Martin when he was heckled on one of his live albums, I remember when I had my first beer. I think he had a beer. I think they spiked his Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah. With a little vodka. That's my theory. A lifetime of avoiding alcohol, supposedly. A very low tolerance. I think he was slipped to Mickey. I think I think he was. What are you doing, Big Red? That's a pretty big matzo ball. Good Lord. Pat Riley's saying, man, simmer down there. I mean, let's think about this. Let's think about this. And, and I want to be fully respectful to what the Chiefs have accomplished. They won the Super Bowl in a season where there were a lot of great teams. And the amazing thing about the Chiefs, we forgot about them 
during this stretch where they were losing at home to teams like the Texans and the Colts and Patrick Mahomes wasn't Patrick Mahomes because he had that dislocated knee that he returned from probably earlier than he should have and he wasn't as good while he was still recovering and then by that Broncos game that they played in the snow globe it's like holy crap the Chiefs are pretty good and everyone's sleeping on the Chiefs and then they're down 24 points to the Texans and they come back and win they're down 10 to the Titans twice and they come back and win they're down 10 with six minutes left in the Super Bowl and they come back and win. I mean, this is not the 85 Bears. This is not a team that dominated every playoff game. They showed us the capability to dominate, but you're living on the edge, man. When you have double-digit deficits in every game, it's a hell of an accomplishment. But why are we thinking that we're on the front end of a dynasty here? Why are we thinking that? Maybe it's going to be once every three years, the dominoes fall just right for the Chiefs. I think all of a sudden our expectations are unreasonably high. MDS and I, earlier this week on the PFTPM Super Bowl 54 Awards podcast, we tried to peg the over-under on the number of Super Bowl wins that will make Patrick Mahomes' career not a disappointment. And after we talked it through, we landed at three and a half. That he's got to get four to match Joe Montana and Terry Bradshaw for his career to not be a disappointment. That is a hell of a burden. Can they do it? I don't know. But again, this was not dominance. But still, for the first time, I think, since the 1992 Cowboys who won Super Bowl 27 in blowout fashion of the Bills, for the first time since then, we have a very clear sense that the Super Bowl champion will win multiple Super Bowls. Kind of had that sense a little bit with the 2002 Buccaneers who won Super Bowl 37 and never were back, haven't been back since. But really, the 85 Bears are the ultimate example of a dynasty that never became a dynasty. What will the Chiefs do? Well, Andy Reid has written the check. We'll see if the 2020 Chiefs can honor it. I expected to have some memorable content on Wednesday from Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, who was wearing a WWE championship belt and who clearly is not Mormon based upon his activities in the aftermath of Super Bowl 54 and his speech. You know that that moment where you just have to consciously enunciate and it's obvious to anyone who's listening that the person is consciously enunciating because they're they're right on the wrong side of the tightrope. Here's some Travis Kelsey from yesterday. 24 nothing. I ain't trying to hear it. Shout in. I ain't trying to hear it. Fourth quarter, six and whatever left on the clock. Down 10. <laughs> We got Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, baby. How about Sammy Watkins? Woo! How about Damian Williams? Woo! How about my dog, 5'5", and he ain't offsides? Mother-
Let's go! I don't know what sounds Travis Kelsey was making and how he's making them, but he may want to rethink his diet. I don't know. 5-5 five, five and he ain't offsides. Ouch! The slap at D Ford and the reference to Frank Clark. And there are chiefs who believe that this would have been the second parade if D Ford hadn't jumped offside with the AFC Championship game on the line. And hey, there's at least one person on the planet who thinks this could be parade number three. Because if they had just put Patrick Mahomes on the field when Alex Smith was struggling, continuing our overindulgence of alcohol theme, unexpected, unplanned, unscripted, if they had done that in 2017, maybe it would be number three. Maybe it would be. But it just demonstrates the razor-thin margin. How hard it is to climb to the top of the mountain. And now, you're back in the valley of zero and zero. Can you? Will you? Climb again. The target is bigger than ever. And yesterday, Andy Reid essentially said, here's the target, I dare you to hit it. Makes for a fun 2020 season. You know, I remember the last time we had a team that we were convinced was going to go back to back. Now, you know, I, you know what? I mean, we, we assumed the Patriots had win two in a row during their stretch of four appearances in five years. But it was a palpable sense in 2014, entering that season, that the Seahawks we're just going to run the table, not go undefeated, but they were going to be back in the Super Bowl and win it again easily. And they got back to the Super Bowl, but it wasn't easy. And getting back wasn't easy. Look, there's nothing easy about this. You got 31 other teams and they're coming for you. And let's remember that. Let's not just assume it's going to be Chiefs again. They're going to have to earn it if they're going to do it. I'm not saying they won't, but I'm also not saying they will. When we return... Jimmy G breaks his silence regarding the critics who would point out the obvious regarding his failure to deliver in the clutch in Super Bowl 54. We'll let you know what he had to say when PFT Live continues right after this. Jimmy Garoppolo, 49ers quarterback for now. For People get so upset. Folks, man, if you're a 49ers fan, you can't just blindly rally around every guy on the team. There's a way to make the team better. Clearly the team's not good enough to win the Super Bowl. They would have won the Super Bowl. Jimmy G had a chance to win the Super Bowl, or at least to put the 49ers up 27-24 with a minute and 30 seconds left in the game, and he failed. He failed. Pass fail. Failed. Receiver open. Ball thrown. He wasn't being rushed. He had plenty of time. He was able to drop back, set, and throw. I've watched the play a hundred times. Emmanuel Sanders splits through two Chiefs players and is open. And we have seen quarterbacks make that throw in big spots. In Super Bowls, Terry Bradshaw. Right? Super Bowl 10, Super Bowl 13, Super Bowl 14, the throw to John Stallworth when the Steelers were down to the Rams. The throw that dropped into Stallworth's hands just beyond the reach of the Rams defensive back. 
it's weird the flashes and the moments and the memories that we have i have a crystal clear recollection of getting to sports illustrated with that photo on the cover of that moment in super bowl 14 40 years ago and i remember sitting at the kitchen table reading that game story and eating the chocolate chip cookies my mom used to make that you know isn't it funny it, it doesn't your mom make chocolate chip cookies in a unique way that no one else does like and now i can't say that because every once in a while i'll come across a chocolate chip cookie that's kind of like the way my mom made it and it's like a religious experience when it happens but i remember sitting there and wolfing down somewhere between six and ten of them after school on a thursday sports illustrated always showed up on thursday at our house and i was fascinated by the cover and i sat there and read the whole damn thing i was 14 years old and i ate a bunch of cookies and they were greasy right so like the grease got on the pages i gotta see if i have that that's gonna be my challenge today i got a box full a big ass box full of of uh old sports illustrated i'm gonna go see if i still have it and i'm gonna take photos of the grease stains from my mom's chocolate chip cookies anyway here's jimmy garoppolo that was sorry for that moment of nostalgia here's jimmy garoppolo asked yesterday what do you say to your critics that you didn't get it done in the fourth quarter as an offense as a team we've been in that situation you know multiple times and you know we've answered the bell and just it's tough when you know that one time you know you didn't and so but that's what uh, that's what people remember. It's the world we live in, and you just got to own up to it and you know be a man about it. And so, it'll uh, like I said before, it'll fuel us in this off season, fuel me especially in this off season, just to uh, you know come back better. It's easy to say that, right? But but here's the thing. Yeah, we answered the bell in a regular season game in New Orleans. We answered the bell here. We answered the bell there. But when the championship is riding on it, what do you do when you have that moment? That's what you live for. That's what you want. That's what you aspire to be. When you're a kid and you're counting down the clock as you take the three-point shot or you're running around in the backyard with the Super Bowl on the line, that's the throw you live to make. Your whole life is leading up to that moment. Can you deliver in that moment? The ultimate litmus test for a championship quarterback. And it's so simple to me. I understand that reasonable minds can differ, but I don't. I guess in this case, I don't know why 49ers fans get upset at the idea that their guy failed because he did fail. Pass, fail, fail. And let's see if failure and the reasonable reactions. I mean, what does he expect people to say? What, what, I mean, look, I, I don't want to be one of those guys that, that yells, get off my lawn about the participation trophy culture and positive reinforcement, even when there's nothing positive to reinforce someone with. Oh, well, you tried, Jimmy. Better luck next time. All that matters is that you did your best there's a time and a place for that in the super bowl with the championship riding on it the time is to make the throw and if you don't you failed 
And if you're going to be a man about it, as he said, you got to acknowledge that I failed. And he kind of did. You can't use the criticism as fuel, though, because the criticism flows from your failure. This isn't unfair criticism. And I'm not saying the guy stinks because he failed to do it. I think it's fair to say, should the 49ers try to upgrade to somebody who would make that throw if they find themselves in a Super Bowl again with the game on the line again? Emmanuel Sanders, the guy who was on the potential receiving end of that throw, He's watched the game back, and he says, it's like watching the Titanic, and you hope the ship doesn't sink. And for some reason, the ship keeps sinking over and over. I go back and watch it again, and you hope that all the plays that we left out there and the possible opportunities we could have come out victorious, but we didn't, and that's the reality. Man, he's a glutton for punishment. I remember when Dave Gettleman was the GM of the Panthers. We had him on set at the Combine four years ago. Three weeks after the game. Have you watched the game back? Nope. And I think I saw him later in the year. Have you watched the game back? Nope. I think it was the regular season opener. Panthers at Broncos. I saw him down on the field. Hey, have you ever watched that game back? Nope. Some business to attend to for the 49ers in the offseason. Eric Armstead, due to be a free agent, he wants to stay. He's not opposed to being franchise tagged. Look, I understand that there's a certain pragmatic approach to the concept of the franchise tag. Yeah, what can you do? But it's always better to not be franchise tagged. You're going to make more money and have more security if you're not franchise tagged, and that's what every player should want. The franchise tag isn't going away, but you should not want it to be applied. Jaguars fans applying some pressure to the team, which plans to play two games in London this year. We'll talk about that next on PFT Live. Thirty-four minutes after the hour, Pro Football Talk Live on NBC Sports Radio is brought to you by Granger. Delivering the products that keep your facility running is what Granger does best. They've been doing it for ninety years. Visit Granger.com for whatever you need, whenever you need it. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, we didn't talk about this on the radio side yesterday. We had a three-man discussion of it which is always a challenge because everybody's got the points they want to make and they don't always dovetail seamlessly and we don't do a lot of advanced communication about the points we're going to make. But I thought it was a good discussion with Peter King and Chris Sims yesterday about the Jaguars and London. The Jaguars are doubling their home games in London for 2020. Now, it comes at a time when there's a $500 million complex that's being constructed around the stadium in Jacksonville, which sends a very strong message that the Jaguars aren't leaving Jacksonville. But man, it feels like the Jaguars are moving toward a split schedule with half of their games in Jacksonville and half in London or five in Jacksonville and three in London or something like that. And it's always felt like that's where it was going to go. The Jaguars have been the team by virtue of playing in London every year that has emerged as the team that we look at and say, if anybody's moving to London, it's them. And it will get very interesting if some other owner gets a bright idea to try to move to London and Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, says, wait a minute, I called Shotgun. He's got kind of unofficial de facto shotgun on London. I was told a couple of years ago. If and when he chooses to move the team full-time to London, the owners will support it and allow it. 
there really are some significant logistical issues. Peter King addressed yesterday the notion that the London team would need to have extra salary cap space so the players could be paid a premium to deal with living there and paying taxes there and the exchange rate and the extended road trip. Because now, in most weeks, you leave home on a Saturday and you're back on Sunday night. Ten times a year. Every once in a while, it's a cross-country thing and you stay all week. But, you know, for the teams that are centrally located, you're typically going to just fly back and forth. Sometimes you go a night early. But it's not an arduous travel load. If there's a team full-time in Jacksonville... You're coming to the States two, three weeks at a time. See you Sunday, honey. No, not tomorrow. Three weeks from tomorrow. Have fun taking care of the kids with your mom and dad thousands of miles away and no friends here because we haven't met anybody yet because we're still living out of boxes. It's it's not going to be attractive to players. And, and I could see... Free agents saying no to London. I could see draft picks threatening to hold out for a full year. What if there was a London franchise right now and it had the number one overall pick in the draft and there were multiple teams in the top five that needed quarterbacks and Joe Burrow had no interest in playing in London? It's the ultimate reason to say, I don't want to be picked. You know, guys tiptoe around it now because fans, God forbid... God forbid we support a guy for making a business decision about where he wants to play. Fans will get mad if a guy says, I don't want to play for a certain team. But I don't think fans in the United States would be upset at all if a guy says, I want to play in the United States. USA, USA. I don't want to go to London. I just think it's going to be way too difficult to pull it off. And maybe it just has to gradually happen. Two becomes three, three becomes four, four becomes eight over the course of 20 years. Even then, I don't see it working. And whatever advantages you would give to the London team to help balance the playing field, if that team thrives, there's going to be arguments that the playing field isn't balanced. You're doing too much for the London team. I mean, think about it. What you're going to have, instead of a collection of all the best players that you believe will help you be successful, you're going to have a bunch of guys that want to live in London, right? For most of the players, not interested in living in London. Oh, I am. I'll go. Well, nobody else wants to, so all right, we'll sign you. Another angle that a reader pointed out to me, because we get a lot of feedback now from folks who watch the show on Sky Sports. We've been on for a year now. And this reader pointed out that at the Jaguars home game every year, there's about 25% Jaguars fans. When you go to a London game, and I haven't been there yet, can't, because they play them on Sundays and we're on NBC on Sunday nights, and the Sunday night football game would never be in London because it would be like one in the morning in London when you kick off. But it's kind of like going to a Pro Bowl. Jerseys everywhere from every team. And this fan said, it's 25% Jaguars fans, 75% fans of every other team. 
And it kind of reminds me of what's going on in L.A., specifically for the Chargers. What would happen? What would happen if the Jaguars played eight home games? Would it be that their stadium is dominated by fans of the opposing team or just fans of any team? And and would fans keep coming out for that many games when they all involve the Jaguars? I've said for years that the ultimate solution to London is to give them eight games with different participants in every game, the equivalent of the shrink-wrapped collection of eight little cereal boxes. You get your eight games, but no one moves there. Doesn't that make a hell of a lot more sense? And really, as a fan, especially in a city where there hasn't been a team and they've developed their interest in the sport by basically picking whatever team, it's kind of like how we are with the Premier League. The Premier League has gotten more and more popular in recent years, and you just pick which of the teams you want. There's no geographic tie. Hey, I like this team. Hey, I like that team. That's my team. That's my team. That's my team. So you're playing eight games a year in London, and fans will show up to see my team. Hey, my team's coming. And the games count. Yeah, how do you have a playoff game in London? That was a point Sims made yesterday. How do you have a playoff game? It's always got to be the 12:30 game. And now, now that they're... I, yeah, they, they're pushing more and more of these games to 4.30 in the afternoon. That's a, what, 9.30 start time in London? Local time? How does that work on a regular basis? And how do you do it where, okay, the London team is hosting a wild card game. So, team that is playing on the road in London, the wild card has to get over to London and play. And then if they win, they got to travel back and play another game. It's a huge disadvantage. That's why a split schedule makes sense if they ever go in the direction of a team playing more than one game per year there on a consistent basis. This may this may just be a one-year trial run, an experiment. You got to split the schedule, and then you play the playoff games in your U.S. home in Jacksonville if it's the Jaguars. And some Jaguars fans are pushing back. The Bold City Brigade fan group has launched a website to take virtual signatures opposing the moving in another Jaguars home game away from Jacksonville. Now, look, I think it makes sense, Jaguars fans. Stand up and be heard. Here's why. Because it very well may be a trial balloon. So you got to pull out your BB gun. Your Red Rider Carbine Action BB gun with the, what is it, range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing that tells time. You got to crank it up extra and you got to blast that son of a out of the sky if it's a trial balloon. You got to make sure this ain't working. This ain't going to fly, baby. We're going to revolt against the Jaguars doing this. Make it known. Make it known. Because there's no guarantee it's going to happen again. And what is wrong with having eight games per year with no team moved to London? What's wrong with that? Do we really want to disrupt the competitive balance of the NFL by throwing in all these issues? Now, look, it, it could create high drama. It would be good for my business. It would be great for my business if a team or two moved to London. I'm not complaining about that, but I think it screws things up. And that's the problem with greed unbridled greed always got to make more it's never good enough 
for American business to continue to make as much profit as you're making. It's always got to be more. Always got to be finding more. What do you want? I want more. Well, at some point, you have everything you're going to get. And as I said earlier this week, when you only have 102 million people on average watching the Super Bowl, and there are another 227.5 million people in the United States, focus on them. Focus on them. Fish where the fish are, baby. And don't screw up the competitive balance in the National Football League. You know, the more I think about this, the more I talk about it, I don't like it. I don't like it. I have no problem with 16 teams playing one game in London per year. Eight games. Give them eight games. Four games at Wembley and four games at the Tottenham Stadium. I got no problem with that. Don't move a team there. Because it potentially undermines the competitive balance. Do not chase the almighty dollar so much that it screws up what is working very well, which is that delicate competitive balance among 32 NFL teams. When we return, Tom Brady has vowed to not be wearing a blazer at next year's Super Bowl. He is going to be wearing a uniform. But which uniform? A pledge pin on your uniform? More PFT Library after this. Tom Brady had been to four of the last five Super Bowls as a player. Remember the one he didn't qualify for, Super Bowl 50, he was there as part of the celebration of Super Bowl 50. And for the Super Bowl culminating in the conclusion of the NFL's 100th season, Tom Brady was there with that red blazer as part of the all-time team. And Tom Brady posted on Instagram Wednesday that he will be at next year's Super Bowl and I'm not wearing a blazer. I like the fire. I like the moxie. I like the attitude from a guy who's going to be 43 years old in August. I like it. He took a series of questions from followers and answered them in Instagram videos. When he took a question from a person who asked which team he'll be playing for next year, he sat silently staring at the camera. It's one of the biggest offseason stories of all time. What the hell was Sims thinking yesterday when he had the first pick in the draft of the most interesting offseason storylines and he went with the Patrick Mahomes contract, not what the hell happens with the greatest player of all time? What happens with Tom Brady? Will he stay in New England? Will Bill Belichick apply his lips to each of the buttocks of Tom Brady, literally and figuratively, to get him to want to stay? Will Brady still want to leave? Will he try to find out whether the grass is greener? Will he cash in? Will he see a better opportunity to win somewhere else? Now, there's there's a thought that Brady wasn't necessarily motivated by getting to a Super Bowl immediately. The idea that he's got three years, he's got a window to maybe help someone else build something that would culminate in Super Bowl victory number seven, and then he walks off into the sunset. If his motivation is to win this year, folks, hey, look, I don't want to keep beating the dead horse, but when has that ever stopped me before? What if Brady is the one who calls Kyle Shanahan and or John Lynch 
What if Brady says, hey, guys, I want to play for you. What do they say to that? What do they say? You don't fit our offense? You make your offense fit Tom Brady. I saw that stupid-ass argument on Twitter the other day. He doesn't fit the offense. You make the offense fit him. He's Tom Brady for crying out loud. His best chance to get to the Super Bowl next year is to go home to Northern California and play for the team that he grew up rooting for. The team that sparked in him the passion that helped make him who he is. Are we so caught up in all the different possibilities that we are missing what is hiding in plain sight, folks? It's hiding in plain sight. He's determined to go back to the Super Bowl next year. He just saw his boyhood favorite team in the Super Bowl. He was there. And they failed without him. Jimmy G had a chance to make a championship throw, and he failed. Brady makes that throw. Hello, this is Kyle. Hey, Kyle, Tom Brady here. You know, I really respect what you've done in your coaching career, and it's amazing how you've put together a team so quickly that is so competitive. And as you may know, I grew up in Northern California, and I was a huge 49ers fan, and I still am. I was at the catch game. That's something that you can never make go away, no matter how many Super Bowl wins you have with the Patriots or any other team. And as you may know, I'm going to be a free agent. And I'd really like to play for you, Kyle. I really would. And I don't want a whole lot of money. I don't want a whole lot of authority. I'll do whatever you want me to do. But I'd be honored if I could finish my career as a member of the San Francisco 49ers. I await your response. I don't know. What do you say to that? I'm going to ask Sims. I'm going to ask Sims. He knows Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan saw what Tom Brady can do. He saw Tom Brady lead a team back from 28 to 3. He saw it firsthand. He'd have a ring. From Super Bowl 51. But for Tom Brady. But for Tom Brady's ability to rise up in the biggest moments and make the biggest throws and make the biggest plays and make the best decisions and inspire his teammates to do what needs to be done. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? The San Francisco 49ers with George Kittle With Emmanuel Sanders, if he stays, and oh, he would stay. Odell Beckham Jr. You don't think Odell Beckham Jr. is immediately going to start clamoring for a trade to the 49ers if Tom Brady is on the team? I saw a suggestion the other day that maybe Brady's going to try to do the NBA super team thing. Listen, this guy didn't get to where he is by not being brilliant, by not being driven, by not being strategic. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. And I, uh, it's hiding in plain sight, isn't it? Tom Brady to the San Francisco 49ers. Is 12 retired there? Did they retire John Brody's number? I think, I, I, I think, I think they would, I think they would. Hell, he could wear number 16 and 
He's going to wear whatever number he wants. What number is Tom Brady wearing? Whatever number he wants. I mean, I, I think John Brody is no longer with us, so it's not like he could get permission from him the way that that Peyton Manning got it from Frank Trapuca. Like Frank Trapuca was going to say no to Peyton Manning wearing number 18 in Denver. But uh, TB12 will still be TB12. Whatever it takes. That, that's a small detail. If, if he wants you and you want him, he wears 12. Not all that difficult. 12 is retired. 8, 12, 16 are retired. The quarterback numbers that are retired. For Steve Young, John Brody, and Joe Montana, respectively. Hey, maybe he will just troll everyone and wear number 10. Wouldn't that be awesome? TB10. What the hell? It's not that much of a difference. More PFT Live right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.